singularity. My name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One on One. Singularity One on One is a regular podcast at Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. If you guys enjoy the show, you can help me make it better by liking this video on YouTube, writing a review on iTunes, leaving a comment on the blog, or simply making a donation. And what if they don't like the show? What are they supposed to do? Oh, uh, well, come on. They're going to love <laughs> this one in particular. <laughs> as always, I will be the man with the questions. And as you can already see, today, the, the man in a hurry to give us up all the answers on the future of photography and imaging technology is no one else but Will Crockett. Will Crockett is a photo innovator, imaging visionary, a web TV personality who has more than 30 years as a commercial photographer with notable clients such as Pfizer, Boeing, Hewlett-Packard, Cadbury, United Airlines, Time Magazine, and the U.S. Pentagon. He is also the man behind Discover Mirrorless and ShootSmarter.com and a test shooter for many photo manufacturers. Uh, he gets access, privileged access to many of their prototypes. And actually, in this way, he became the main reason why I ended up buying a Panasonic GH3 in order to shoot all my in-person interviews. Oh, sure. You're going to try to blame me now for your lousy video. So if anything goes wrong from here on <laughs> to all my audience, it's this guy's fault, I have to say. <laughs> so, Will, thanks very much for being on Singularity One-on-One -on -one today. I really appreciate you took time to be with us. Oh, it's great to be here. The staff around the studio gives me nothing but a hard time because I've been a fan of your website for quite a while. And uh, take a look at your uh, uh, video interviews, particularly the one we were chit-chatting about with Ray Kurzweil. Man, if I could have ever gotten a go on one, that would probably be the one I'd go on. I think that got something yeah, else. Yeah, and I I'm sure if you were, then you wouldn't have made any of the, mis the, the endless mistakes that I did, both in the over. audio and the video and, and the light, everything I, I, I messed up. It was terrific. In fact, I, I think that's probably your best podcast because I have that one permanently on my uh, my iPhone. Oh, wow. Thank Ooh. you so much. You're welcome. So, Will, um, I'd like to find out the first question that I usually I ask of my guests is I want to find out what makes them tick. Not yeah. only what they do, but why they do it and why, why and how did they end up doing what they do. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Why and how did you fall in love with photography? <laughs> Of all the other things know. you could do. <laughs> I, I was a farm kid raised in central Illinois and uh, son of uh, car mechanics. My father, my uncle, they were all into repairing cars. And I learned a little bit of that early, but I just wasn't interested in that. Somehow I, I picked up a camera and I, I found that I could experience kind of both halves of my brain. The technical chemistry part, because back then we were developing film in a dark room. And then the creative part was was really kind of a, a bit of escapism, I guess, for me to see if I maybe had the ability to be a creative person instead of a mechanical person, because the small area in central Illinois that I grew up in really didn't offer a whole lot of opportunity to creative people. So mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, I just decided I was going to go to photo school. And, and the funny part is I actually won a scholarship wow. to go to study electronics. 
through a state of Illinois kind of contest thing for electronic high school students, and I won the whole thing. And I just did it as a lark to keep my parents from yelling at me, and I won the darn thing. And they were really upset when I decided to pass it, and instead I went to Brooks in Santa Barbara, California to study photography. So that's really how it all happened, and beyond that, wow. I don't know how I got here. Wow. So, so you could have ended up in the world of technology, uh, I mean, more strictly speaking than you are right now. So that's an interesting segue, perhaps, to one of the major questions in the heart of photography that has been there since the very early days of photography, yeah. which is the debate of whether photography is really an art yeah. or a science yeah. or, or whether it is a reality or fiction. Yeah. You know, I, I think of it much like the, the guys that I see in the Northeast that with, with just their hands and a stack of hardwood create the most beautiful cabinets and tables you've ever seen. Nothing fancy, nothing ornate, nothing art. However, when you look at the skill and the artisan and the craftsmanship that they pour into that, that is art to me that you see every day. Even though you open up the knob on that cabinet to grab a coffee mug every day, that doesn't mean that that's not a piece of art there too. But does it really deserve to hang in the Louvre next to something that's you know, a fancy oil painting? I don't know what the answer is. Is photography art? I don't know. I don't even allow myself to be labeled as an artist at all, ever. I don't think that I'm the world's greatest photographer in the slightest bit, and I think I've gone a long way with very little photo skill and maybe a lot of technological skill, but I think my big plus is communication, and I can communicate with a camera and with a video camera and with an audio recorder, and I can communicate with my voice, and if I mix all those together, I think that's what makes me unique and different and allows me to be pretty much the only guy that does what I do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, but on the other hand, pictures like the pictures of Henri Cartier-Bresson are hanging in like the Paris Library and in a bunch of galleries across the world. So yeah. I think obviously there are people who would say that photography is art. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I, I've, I've been just stunned when I get a chance to see some original photos, even, even from people that don't, you know, you'd expect me to say, well, original Hansel Adams and Western stuff, that's all. And it is. It's gorgeous. But, you know, I've been thrown backwards by even taking a look at Andy Warhol's photographs. I had no idea that they could capture so much life in such a low-grade technological medium. It's it's interesting for me. I don't understand it. Don't, don't think I do. My end is the whole techno end and the future end of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then what about the second part? Is photography reality or fiction then? Yeah. I don't know. If you can figure out the answer to that, I have no idea. I guess it's a combination of both. And, and you know what else is interesting, too, is is we, we have those kind of discussions here amongst photographers when is the image created in the camera or is it created in the computer? Because there's so much we can do with, uh, you know, Photoshop, whatever, retouching tools. But I'm, I'm kind of old school when it comes to that. And I think that a photographer needs to create the vision of the piece in their mind and then use the camera as best they can to achieve that vision and then only use the post-processing when they, they, they need it, when they can't do it in the camera. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to another issue here, and uh, that's the issue about uh, the meaning of hybrid photography. Yeah. You've gone on the record, and you were one of the first people that I was aware of who very openly yeah. uh, and, and very controversially mm -hmm. went all the way up there to say that DSLRs are dead. Yeah. So we'll, let's walk us step by step here and tell us first, 
What is hybrid photography, and why do you think it might mean the end of DSLRs? Yeah, wow. Thank you for thanks for allowing me the uh, platform to, to bring this to a, a different audience. And hybrid photography is where we're all going. The the line between a photographer that shoots still photos and a videographer that shoots video images that line that separates the two of us is gone. And we want to be able to help photographers both photo-based photographers and video-based photographers to learn that we can capture a moment and create uh, a, a remembrance. We can actually show what a, a product, for instance, is all about, too, by using both photo and video and audio. Audio has got a lot to do with how we as humans retrieve memories and retrieve emotions. And when I hear a piece of video from my daughter, who's now 22 years old and in med school, of her when she was four years old and that cute little squeaky voice, I don't need to see the picture. I can just hear that piece of audio and it transports my brain right back to that, that, that moment in time that I just I cherish so much. So what we want to do is we want to let photographers know that the sagging print sales that they're seeing now in pretty much all areas of uh, regions where photographers make their money by selling a printed physical photographic print, that decline in sales is not coming back. And they're going to need to replace that with a hybrid product, meaning it doesn't matter if you are shooting weddings and you think you're selling a wedding album. You think that that $3,000 book, that that's your, what you're selling. It's not. You're selling the memories that are held inside that book. And it doesn't matter what physical shape that book is. It could be an electronic piece, and it's still going to have that same amount of value. That's just our struggle with photographers. So mm -hmm. we're seeing photographers, typically my generation, the 35 to 55, not being very open. And that's where you said that I, I took a couple of pot shots, and I still do take a couple of pot shots mm -hmm. because they feel that I'm betraying kind of our generation of master craftsmen photographers by saying that we're getting away from generating portrait sales and we're getting away from the, the craftsmanship of photography. Well, not at all. We're, we're applying that into a different medium and it's extremely exciting. And of course, that's where it, it, it all comes around for me to say the mm -hmm. end of that hardware is here. The holdbacks that we have with a DSLR, meaning a, a camera that's got a mirror in the middle, it's holding us back. And when we see cameras that don't have a mirror in the middle, they don't hold us back. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. So the, the plus of it is that DSLRs are large, expensive, they're complicated, they they have a, a bunch of end of end of their uh, technology lifespan signals that they're giving us that they just can't get any better. For instance, autofocus when it comes to shooting video on a DSLR is nearly impossible. And the only way to fix the autofocus is to get rid of the mirror because <laughs> the mirror is actually what sends autofocus information up to the, the sensing section of a <laughs> section of a DSLR. <laughs> And when we have a mirrorless camera, and in fact, a lot of people don't even know, the mirrorless cameras look a lot like DSLRs these days. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite mirrorless cameras. This doesn't have a mirror inside it. So when I look in there, I'm actually looking at an electronic representation of what the camera sees. And creatively, and we'll come back to that, by the way, creatively, that is a huge boost. And that's one of the little pluses that's also telling me that once photographers fully understand what a mirrorless camera can do, they'll 
come along with me and they'll say, you know, well, you're probably right. We were just mad because I just spent $3,000 on a mirrorless camera and you're telling me an $800 camera is going to do a better job, which in fact is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I can prove it. That's part of my job. But we're, we're not looking to stick our tongues out at anybody and we're not, we're not looking to do anything else but to sound the alarm. Nicola, we want to we want to make sure that my profession that I've loved for so long that they understand that if they don't change soon, they're about to get overrun by the generation that's behind us because they have no problem picking up one of these and shooting photo and video and taking all of our customers. Mm-hmm. You know uh, what you say about selling memories and things like that makes a lot of sense to me. And just today, uh, I was reading a blog post by Seth Godin, and he finished it by saying. Truly skillful marketers don't sell products, they sell meaning. Yeah. So, and I think it's a perfect example of what you were describing, that photographers are not selling that wedding album, they're selling those memories. Yeah. They're selling those moments so that people can relive them and reimagine them over and over again. 50 years into the future, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm victim of that, too. I have to travel a lot with my job, and I miss my wife, my daughter, my mother-in-law is a part of our family, my dogs. I miss my dogs. So when when I'm a week in Death Valley working on shooting cameras that are supposed to be dust-proof, I want to just relate back to, oh, I wonder what they're doing back at home. I pull up my iPhone, and sure, I've got photos of them, but I also have a piece of video that shows all of them interacting with each other, and that is 10 times the that magnetic pull that I'm looking for while I'm busy at work diving tarantulas or whatever I'm doing. Then what do you say to people who say, you know, usually guys from the older generation who, who say, you know, the heart of photography is dying because kids are nowadays entranced with computers. Everybody is doing their pictures in Photoshop rather than, you know, in real life in their camera. There's so much stress on technology, yeah. on this and on that, that the actual true art or science of photography is kind of vanishing. Do you agree yeah. with that? I don't. I think it's changing shape. And I, I, I'm not to criticize my peers that say that, too. There's a, a group of people that still believe, by the way, that if you go to college and you're going to try to get a degree in photography, that you have to go through the wet process, meaning film. shooting film and developing it and then making a print. I couldn't disagree anymore. You can't send an intern to me and, and on that resume if they say, oh, I'm, I'm a master color and larger printer off color and I can process color or negative film, I'll look at him like he's crazy. So, well, no, no, I can't use you. You have to go somewhere. I don't know where you're going to go either, but we need people that can help us process the files that we're creating for our clients, and that is photo plus video plus audio. And unfortunately, the colleges, hopefully there's college professors watching this right now, they are woefully behind. Mm-hmm. Some of the speaking gigs that I've done on big college campuses that offer real photo degrees, they're producing kids that cannot get a job, and that's very frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I recently watched a very interesting documentary produced and shot entirely by Keanu Reeves, and I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like the end of the film or something like that. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes where basically he went and he interviewed some of the best Hollywood directors like George Lucas, Robert Rodriguez, Martin Scorsese and a bunch of others and some of the people who are... St- and, and he went into that debate about film versus digital. Yeah. And, you know, one of the few people who are saying, like, I think the director of The Black Knight Rises who is uh, Nolan, I think his name is Nolan, who is famous for shooting, you know, 
uh, full frame films for IMAX theater and he, who, who is like one of those people who is saying he may be the last guy shooting actually film. Yeah. Uh, and he's like a big proponent of that. So that debate is still raging in some circles yeah. in Hollywood still, even though it's largely on the losing side already. 90% yeah. of the latest films are shot in digital. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm all for the, the photographer, the image maker, finding the tools that feel right for them and then creating using that. I, I don't think we should shun a film person, but it, would they, they can't certainly tell us that we're missing something by shooting digital because I'm on the forefront of being able to be, you know, before a camera comes out, they're going to need to have images in order to use in their advertising campaign as well as testing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm one of the guys that gets hired by those manufacturers to go test those cameras that don't exist yet. So mm -hmm. I'm seeing technology that comes in my hands that's six, eight months in the future, and I'm exposed to technology that's two, three years in the future. And I'll tell you right now, you've got to take advantage of that technology. I want my photography brethren to be able to to see new technology and grab it with open arms and understand what it is and what it does. Filter through maybe some of the marketing hype that unfortunately we have to deal with too, but get to the core of what that camera is trying to do or what that piece of software offers for us because it's going to help us advance our craft and that's what we've got to do. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this perhaps, I don't know if you're uh, at liberty to share anything with us, but... Mm -hmm. Can you at least give us some hints on some very cool products that you're looking forward to coming to market in the next 6 to 12 months based on your experience with prototypes? I can touch on a couple of them. <laughs> couple. That'd be very nice. Here's, here's one that gets photographers just angry. And by the way, you're, you're going to get plenty of posts when we, when we talk about some of these things, which I just love. It's just people, because if you put them in a time capsule, come back in six months or maybe a year and you go, ah, I told you so, you were wrong. That's good. Well, one of the things that we deal with in photography and video is ISO, right? The speed in which the sensor reacts to light. And those folks that are watching that are familiar with photographic processes, it's totally fine. We have the ability in a digital camera to spin a little dial or set a menu that determines how fast that camera is going to react to a volume of light. And a higher ISO, one that's 1,000 to 2,000, 3,000, that's considered very fast, and it will respond to a very small volume of light. Well, in years past, we didn't have the ability to use films or early digital cameras that responded real quick to light because they were too noisy and grainy, and they just weren't sharp and did not get anywhere near the quality that we that we need. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have the return of the auto ISO function. Uh, as a pro photographer with digital cameras, we never would use an automatic ISO adjustment, no. And we would be very very precise on making sure that we'd use the lowest possible ISO to get the best possible quality. Well, you know that the vast majority of the pro level, both mirrorless and DSLR cameras, you can't tell the difference between their lowest ISO, which is typically 100 or 200, and maybe two-thirds up the way of the chain, all the way up to 1600. You literally could shoot a test picture at each one of those different ISOs and ask a photographer if they could pick out which one was which, and we've done this in live events, and they, they just can't do it. So we're now seeing the ability for a photographer to decide shutter speed wise. Say I'm taking a picture of my dog, right? My dog loves to fetch the ball. She's a retriever. You don't want a picture of my dog just kind of sitting there, right? You don't want her with just next to the ball or maybe in the water or something, but you want to see her running, right? You want to have one photograph that's got that vision of her moving. Mm -hmm. Well, 
means you're going to be down where the dog is, and you're going to be panning from left to right while the dog's running from left to right, and you're going to use a slower shutter speed, you know, a fifteenth of a second, maybe thirtieth of a second, to blur that little bit so you get that emotion, right? Well, I also want to be able to control my depth of field, right, what's in focus and what's not in focus. Well, that means that I'm able to set my shutter speed and set my aperture setting for my depth of field and let the camera tell me what ISO it is because it doesn't matter what it is. That right there is working backwards. Because in years past, we used to pick up a box of film, and the film had a very concrete ISO to it. We would The first thing we would do would be set the camera on that static ISO and not allow it to hesitate, and we couldn't let it change at all. Mm -hmm. well, that's the last thing we do, and in fact, it doesn't even matter. Here's one of the other things that's changing this crazy is, do you remember with your early digital cameras, you used to have a digital zoom where you'd zoom in and then it would actually make the image bigger and it would fall apart and it would get horrible looking? Yeah. The pixels would just blow up and it'd be just re literally falling apart. Yeah, I remember. Horrible. Horrible. Well, there is one camera manufacturer that has technology that completely turned me upside down. They have the ability to return digital zoom. They've got a camera with a nice big soup, sorry, with a nice big sensor. And if you cut that sensor in half and then you pull in and you zoom it back in electronically, you increase the pixel values, right? That's called resing up. You're actually storing pixels that you didn't record. They're ones that have been invented by interpolation, very intelligent interpolation processes in the camera. Well, we think instantly as photographers, there's no way you can do that. You can't take this pixel and that pixel and invent two pixels that go in the middle. Mm -hmm. Well, hold on. <laughs> to take that photograph, which is a bunch of little pixels, convert it over to vector data. Then that computer inside that camera refers back to a database that has similar vector patterns, tones, shapes, shades, applies more vector data into that photo, and then re-bitmaps it, re-rips it back to a raster image 60 times per second. And you think, wait a minute, there's no way that can work. I mean, you could take a sensor this big, cut it in half, blow up the image so it's this big, and then fill in all the holes by going to a database that's con going to convert it from pixels over to vector back to pixels, and it works? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it works like you would never believe. And it's going to totally allow us, once again, photographers, we think, oh, there's no way auto ISO is going to be any good. Well, hang on a second. Those young kids that come in, and this is their first pro camera, and they say, oh, wow, we'll use an ISO, and it works great. They're just using that. They're, they're moving on. They're not arguing about it. They're moving on. Then what happens when we go to digital zooms? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bill Crockett says, hey, you know digital zooms is going to work? Oh, I'll be dodging the rotten tomatoes left and right. <laughs> Can you, uh, perhaps you can't tell us the name of the manufacturer and the camera you're talking about? or No, no. I, I think, in fact, a little bit of it is out right now, but I don't know which camera it's in. This is a company that licenses technology to other cameras, too. Okay, so let, let's leave it as a mystery, and then perhaps uh, some of our viewers can post their guests uh, in the comment section or something like that. And, and six months or so, when the product is on the market, we'll see. It, it's going to be common knowledge. So, excellent. Now, let's, let, let me ask you a little bit of a different question here, Will. So, it used to be the case that only photographers had access to photo cameras, right? Photo cameras were very expensive, very clunky, very hard to use. You know, you, you, you needed to have a 
very substantial training and large skill set to be able to come up with a good picture. Oh, yeah. Then eventually everyone started having cameras in their phones. Now everybody has a video camera with them everywhere they go. So, you know, and, and, and someone would say, well, what's the big deal? That only means that people would be able to take more vacation pictures or more silly, stupid vacation YouTube videos or whatever. But do you think there's a larger impact on the future of imaging technology because of the proliferation of cameras? I sure do. I sure do. And the proliferation of the wireless network being able to roll around with us. For instance, we're already seeing cars that are becoming the hub of a family or a business, in fact, their wireless network, because that's the one place that ends up having everybody in it at one spot at a time. So a car, if it ends up having a Wi-Fi hotspot as well as a hard drive, could be the place where we're able to store all of our data or at least back up our data. Mm-hmm. So I I understand. Here's a here's a great here's a great idea. The whole podcast is perfect. However, very few people understand what a podcast is and know how to manage a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people would love to benefit from a podcast. Mm-hmm. Love to, and I use my wife as a guinea pig all the time. Bless her. <laughs> it's a great teacher, and she's into technology, and she loves taking pictures, but she hates cameras because all they do is get in the way. So she tries as best she can, but it's a struggle for her to figure out things like, you know, I want to buy a song from iTunes, and I want to plug in my phone, and I want to move it over to there, and I want to plug it into my car, and I want to sing along to my little, my favorite whatever song on her way to school. She can't do that. That's hard for her. Mm-hmm. I think she represents the vast majority of folks, and we're into technology, so it's pretty easy for us. Do you think that there's been a proliferation of photographer as a result of the uh, photographers as a result of the fact that uh you know digital photography has brought the, both the cost down and the skill level and and made it more accessible to everybody because some people would say yeah that only means more bad pictures everywhere you look yeah. but my view is quite different uh, quite different i know that i for a fact even though i still take horrible pictures i take better pictures than i was taking before there's no doubt in my mind for that and, and i know that other people have even taken it many levels up and and have become professional photographers in the last 5 years right 5 years ago they didn't even know how to hold a camera now they take fantastic professional pictures yeah. So don't you think that's one of the outcomes? Do you agree or disagree? Uh, no, 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 I do. And why do you think that they they are taking better pictures? Because of practice? Well, I think because first the, the, the barrier to entry is much lower, right? So you can buy a, a, a cheap camera for a few hundred dollars and begin. Then uh, you can see and learn instantly as you snap your pictures and correct it instantaneously. You know, it used to be the case you take a picture, you see the result a week later or something, and you can't do anything about it, right? Now you take the picture on your phone and you're like, oh, that's not a good angle. Let me try from here. Oh, the light's not good here. Let me try from here. So you in- learn instantly. The feedback process is much faster. You improve. And if you're interested and passionate about it, I think you can progress and improve your skill set much faster than ever before for a much lower cost. 
Yeah, agree. And and people are using images to communicate back and forth because I'm able to take a picture of me going to visit my daughter in college and send it back to my friends instantly. It, that image works a lot better to communicate my joy of seeing her than do words. Mm-hmm. So I think when people see that, wow, I would like to learn how to communicate with the images that way too. And then I think that's another reason that they're becoming more comfortable with creating images, creating better images. Yeah, which brings me to the next point of why hybrid photography is indeed the future in my view too. I mean, if it's true to say that a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video is worth a million words, right? Uh, Because the video has thousands of pictures as well as sound and motion and emotion and everything like over time. So maybe the impact would, could be even bigger. It, it could be, but you know, a, a still image when it's really dramatic and it, it strikes that little chord in your mind, it stops your brain for a second. Allows you to absorb where we're so programmed, I believe, as particularly Americans, because there's screens everywhere that mm-hmm. allow that image to lead us where that moving image wants to go. But a still photo makes us stop and try to process what it is. So I don't know if video is going to be able to have that impact that photo is. I, I don't quite understand the psychology behind all that. And I'm not sure anyone does. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's a good point. But you mentioned uh, the proliferation of monitors, and I want to grab that line and question you there. Do you think that, so we talked about the proliferation of cameras, but what about the proliferation of computer monitors in digital frames? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's use the term presentation media. Mm-hmm. There is, on the horizon, paint that will come out of a bucket, and you'll be able to paint the wall with it, and then you're going to shine a projector, much like a video projector, onto that surface in which you just painted. That's going to organize the data, the material that's in that paint, into being able to hold an image. And you'll be able to attach a wireless device to the wall. It will connect to that new surface that you just made. And it's not very sharp, and it's not going to be a crystal clear, beautiful plasma TV. But it will allow us to put up an image that has a somewhat defined shape and color. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal, and that's a mind bender. That means that every surface we can ever think of can possibly be a area that we can present an image on. Now, I I have a handful had a handful of prolabs that these are companies that make printed products for professional photographers. Mm-hmm. I used to work a lot with, and in fact, unfortunately, because of my opinion that they're they better get going because product to sell, right? They they say, well, how would we want to help you make an electronic product that goes from phone to iPad to television to whatever when we have $6 million worth of equipment in the back room there that makes printed products? And I said, well, would you rather be the lab that sells printed products and electronic products or would you want to be the lab that used to sell printed products and now you got to pay the scrap man to come get your $6 million machines out of there? Because unfortunately, we did have pro labs that thought digital was a fad. Mm-hmm. Said so we're just staying with film, and they it was a big mess. Yeah. I, nothing happened, and I'm I'm hoping opportunities like this allow us to reach to some of my friends in the pro lab universe and tell them that this is happening with them or without them. And I sure would like to have. Yeah, just one recent example is the the fact that I think both Sears and Walmart have been closing their uh, picture uh, photo studios. Yeah. Right? Uh, but but going back to your your point about uh, smart paint and things like that, there has been a very popular video on the on uh, the future called uh, 
and produced by Corning Glass, by the way, the manufacturer of the iPhone uh, uh, screen or the, the Gorilla Glass. And I think it's called The Future of Glass, which is absolutely stunning, and I recommend for anyone to watch it. And, and that doesn't even show everything that they presented at CES. Uh, let me let me bring you up to speed on that whole thing. Um, imagine this, and I'm I'm not disclosing any secrets anywhere. This most of this is public knowledge. Imagine your refrigerator is going to be the intelligent center of your entire household, right? It may be your car. I'm not quite sure, but I know in the house it's going to be a refrigerator. On top of the refrigerator is going to be a camera as well as a recorder, an audio recorder device. And it's going to be able to move around and it's going to be able to pick up on where the dog's going. If the dog wants to go out and it's between these hours, it'll open up your door and all those other things. Okay, that's all George Jetson stuff, but that's not... It's the human interaction that we want to preserve. And here's what I mean. You're going to walk up to your refrigerator and you're going to triple tap it. And then it's going to have a surface on that refrigerator that's just like an iPod, Gorilla Glass. It's the shape, the whole external surface of your refrigerator is going to be an iPod. And once you triple trap, you're going to get a little menu up there and it's going to, it's going to have a camera and it's going to recognize you. And it's going to go, well, let's, say, let's use me for an example. It's going to say, oh, okay, I see it's Will. All right, why? No bacon for you today, my friend. <laughs> when it sees me, it just locks the door and says, go. <laughs> no beer and no bacon. That's it. <laughs> oh, that it's me. And it's going to allow me special privileges because it knows that it's me. Say I have picked up a bag of dog food for the dogs. And my wife had mentioned on the way out the door this morning that she was going to stop by the store and pick it up. But she was going to come home first and go play tennis and then go whatever. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to catch her when she comes back, and I can send her a message to her phone, but she's not real good at checking out the phone, right? <laughs> Let's walk up to the fridge. I'm going to triple tap the fridge, and I'm going to leave a voice message and visual video message for my wife. So I'm going to say, hey, honey, I already got the dog food. Don't worry about it. Have a terrific day. I'll talk to you later. Well, as soon as she walks in the door, that face detection and facial recognition, right? Two different things. Face detection technology means it sees a face, and that allows us to autofocus a camera, a face detection, and anything. Facial recognition means we get to assign who that person is. Well, that refrigerator knows that when a face comes in, that it's my wife and says, oh, hey, ding, ding, there's a message for you. Tap here. She taps there, and it's me saying, oh, hey, I already got what it's wanted to. That's the technology that's going to help us sociologically move forward with what we're all trying to do. And what we're all trying to do is we're trying to communicate better and more efficiently and more effectively so that, I don't know, maybe we have more free time. But knowing technology people, we'll just fill that extra time in with more technology stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I also, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I also think that we're going to see picture frames or surfaces in our home that are connected wirelessly to our device. Let's say the iPhone that's in my pocket has a list of photo and video images that I've flagged as my favorites, and they're ones that I want to see and I want to share. When I walk into my home, those screens, which are dark all day, there's no reason to waste electricity, mm -hmm. they'll light up, and they're going, to they're going to sense when I come into the room, oh, there's nobody else here but Will. I'm going to put Will's favorite pictures up. And then when my wife comes in and she's over in this part of the house and I'm over in the other part of the house, the, the house is going to know where we're at and it's going to display those images the way we want to. That is wonderful because that's also going to lead us to, you know, cars. 
Well, let's go back to the car. Do you know that the external surface of a car already can be changed when it's when that's color, and we're soon to see patterns. Mm-hmm. There's stretchable medium that'll go, a substrate that goes on the outside of cars that will allow me, if I decide I want it to be green today, I can set my car to be green today. Well, yeah. in the car, my wife's got the car set to pink. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So you press a button that I prefer gray or green or whatever, and it automatically changes the color of the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so let me. We're talking here about uh, very good examples of uh, artificial intelligence in in uh, imaging uh, technology, such as facial recognition and so on, face detection. Let me talk about those same functions within uh, the cameras that we're both using today. For example, like the GH3, the Panasonic GH3, and many of the other, most of the other mirrorless cameras have them. And how do they change photography? They they change photography at an unbelievable speed. For instance, one of the big struggles with event photographers, uh, say a photographer has to photograph the wedding reception in order to get the job as the wedding photographer. When you take a look at the amount of time that a photographer has to take at the wedding reception versus the amount of dollars they make per hour, they don't make any money at a wedding reception because people typically don't buy many of those prints. On the other hand, the bridal party and the beautiful wedding pictures, those are the ones that they're going to buy and the ones that they're going to want to see more of. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out how to make those events easier, faster, more profitable. One way is to take advantage of technology. One piece of technology that's changing how we photograph events is face detection. When we pick up a camera and we point it towards a group of people, the camera knows, oh, hang on a second, you're in face detection mode. It says, wait a minute, I got some faces here. Oh, there they are there. It's pre-focusing. It's already judging the exposure value on that face, and it's already judging the white balance value on that face. That's before the photographers even thought about depressing the shutter button. That's speeding up the process and it's also making a better picture because it now gives the ability for a photographer to decide, well, do I need to turn a flash on or not? Am I in too too dark of a section of the room? Should I ask the people to move out of the way? Well, all those decisions are being made by the camera and the photographer just needs to interpret them. Mm-hmm. One small little piece. Here's, here's another one. You could take your GH3, and most people who have one are, are not that familiar with it. You could take your GH3, as well as other high-end mirrorless cameras. You can turn on the face recognition function. Mm-hmm. Get out a face. You can either go through the menu or uh, just shoot the same face three times, three pictures in a row. It'll say, would you like to register that face? And you say, yeah. What it does is it's going to measure artificial intelligence data, right? The eyes, the distance of the mouth, and the nose width. It's going to pick up, I think, 26 little chunks of data, and it's going to store it into a piece of uh, a database where you get to add one more piece, and that is the person's name or however you want to identify them. So let's say you're a wedding photographer. You're going to go and you're going to load up your database before the day of the wedding with the face of the bride and the groom, and you've got a a ranking capability. You're going to rank them one to five, one being the most important. Bride and groom are going to get a one. Mother of the bride, best man, those are going to get twos. Then you're going to go on down the list, and if you need to, use four and fives. Why is that a big deal? Well, you've got a 
bunch of people of, in a wedding reception, and you know that you've got to have the bride in focus, and you've got to have the bride properly exposed in correct color, that database may see six or seven people whom you have flagged, but it's going to focus in on that bride and that groom. It's going to see, oh, there's the two of them together doing a dance. Will says he wants to take a picture that has very low lights, very kind of smooth look, and I have to make sure that I've got the correct ISO, shutter speed, everything else, all set for that. That intelligence is helping a photographer make a better picture. Mm -hmm. That's the plus. And unfortunately, that's where our photography friends are bailing off. They're saying, oh, I make great decisions for my, my camera, and I don't want a camera making a decision for me. Well, unfortunately, the camera can make a better decision than we can as a human when it comes to that particular example. Here's another one. Say you're in the church, and you want to do a shot down the side of row of people, and your frame has the, the women on the, the party of the bride here, and then it's going down the middle, and it's got the, the, the guys towards the end, right? You, you only want the bride and the groom in focus. Well, if you've got that face set to face recognition, it already knows it's going to have to focus on that person. And you can shoot not only photo, but video. Now you can do a shot video where you're moving and you don't have to worry about autofocus jumping anywhere because it knows face detection. Will wants to be able to shoot that person there and it never jumps out of autofocus. That's Amazing. That's how we're going to solve some of these problems of autofocus. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. I myself, you see, I'm a tech kind of geek, and I haven't used the face detection option on my GH3 yet. So now, because of you, I'm going to use that too. Good. Use it. It's You already got it. You don't have to pay anything else for it. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, so let me ask you this. We've been talking about hybrid photography so much here, but... What about 3D? People say, oh, you know, look at the TV, at the theaters, you know, everything is going 3D nowadays. Manufacturers are going, you know, with 3D TVs coming up on the market. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I enjoy 3D movies from time to time. I, I think it's kind of fun that they're re-releasing some movies. Like I saw Jurassic Park just got a 3D. Yeah. I didn't go see it yet, but I think I will. I'll, I'll pay to see that. There's no doubt. I do have 3D-capable cameras. Your GH3 is capable of 3D with a 3D lens. Yeah. You have 3D-capable televisions. I don't know what's back there. There's a Panasonic 3D TV back there. Hmm. But that that was a really great idea, kind of, that the television manufacturers stuffed down our throats. And when I saw the technology come out and the fact that you have to have, to have glasses on in order to be able to see, well, A, most women don't want to sit and watch TV with glasses on. Most men aren't going to make it through a whole football game with glasses on. And when you look at that 3D image without glasses, it gives you a headache. All right. Now, now there's ways around that, I understand. but I get the headache with the glasses anyway. Do you? Yeah, I, I don't. It's a little too much for me. So until we figure out how to make 3D that doesn't need glasses, it's a moot point because people just bought it because they thought they had to buy it, and it was a very good marketing effort. But to me, it looks like a complete dud. Yeah, I, I think though that technology of watching 3D holograms and stuff like that without glasses is is on its way actually. Uh, because I actually try to stay away from movies that are 3D in the theater simply because of the headache issue. I, nine out of ten times, I get serious headache. Okay. Yeah, maybe because I have very strong contact lenses and that kind of impacts on, on the way I focus or something, but I, I get killer headaches. I usually can't stand and, and it's just horrible for me. Um, now let's, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, 
Is there a future for professional photographers in that world that we're describing? And if there is, what's what's the way forward for those guys? You're not so talking that they don't go away with on the way with with the dinosaurs. I'm talking about you know hybrid photography and and trolls who are still using DSLRs and who are still stuck in that mentality of the well, film old school stuff. That, that's right. So I don't want to leave the impression that all DSLR shooters are old school and, and stuck in their ways and are cranky. They're, they're certainly not. There, there are many reasons why a photographer isn't ready to move into a mirrorless camera, and, and I understand most of them. But here's, here's what we need to do. We need to realize that as we move into shooting a new medium, and that medium is going to be video and audio, because photographers don't have any skills in audio at all. In fact, audio is, is in fact, even more difficult for we visual folks than video is. Well, as we move into that, we're going to have to process those files. And this is where photographers are making a huge mistake. Right now, when, let's go back to that wedding photographer. When they photograph their images, they're all photos. Sometimes they do a little bit of video, but they're all photos. Then they bring those photos in and they do their first edit. They go down from, say, 2,000 to maybe 500. They put up those 500 images online. And then they ask their couple or bride and groom to sort through which ones they want. And then once they're ready to place an order, they're going to take those images and they send them out to a lab. And then the lab does a little bit of touch up to the file usually. And then they make the prints or book or whatever the couple has ordered. Mm -hmm. Photographers that, that mess around with this whole video thing, they don't understand that yet, that they're thinking that they have to edit their own video. And editing video has two huge drawbacks. One is it takes a big computer. It yeah. takes a lot of storage, as you know. It's brand new skills that, in fact, a lot of photo educational companies would love to sell you on the idea that all photographers need to learn how to use uh, Final Cut Pro or Avid Express or Vegas or whatever those big editing machines are. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Auto editing technology is here, and it's being applied to our industry slowly, but it is being applied to our industry. Ultimately, a photographer is going to be able to shoot into what we call a templatized format. If they come in and they decide their customer comes in and they decide that they want your whatever uh, Mother's Day card, they they see an example of five photos and two pieces of video that have been auto edited. So the photographer then can go ahead and shoot those same photos, just like the sample that the person saw and that same piece of video, upload them to a hybrid lab. The hybrid lab then sends it, that video file back to the photographer or they send it directly to your customer. So the bottom line is customer walks in, they order a hybrid piece. It requires the photographer to shoot photo, video, record audio, trim the clips, submit them to an auto editing system mm -hmm. that system then sends, uh, for instance, an SMS text direct to the phone of the customer. They click the download, and then that electronic product is then done and it's delivered onto the phone. Wow. It also allows the photographer to use an online sales gallery that works in an automated mode as well, because the person can hop online, can see the photo and the video, and decide, oh, yeah, I would like to have one of these e-products like this. Click OK. We're at the point now where the system can auto-gather the photo and video that it needs. In fact, the customer can actually choose which video it wants, sends it to the hybrid lab, it bounces back in less than an hour. The whole product's done, and the photographer doesn't have to be there, and they don't have to answer the phone. Wow. That exists, but unfortunately, it's going to 
you know, it's going to wipe out another industry. We're not done. You know, I got to tell you, I'm not a professional photographer, but that's a dream come true for someone like me because my strength is not, however much I love using the GH3, and I do, and I've fallen in love with photography because of it too, but my dream is that I can focus on my interviews and perhaps think a little bit about the setup. But after that, I honestly hate video editing. I just want to outsource it. Ideally, if I have the money and the option, I would either give it to a more skillful person or to a more skillful, you know, artificial intelligence that can do that stuff for me and I can focus on the stuff that I'm good and that I like doing. Agree so much. I, I, I joke around that I'm allergic to Photoshop. We've got seven machines here and every one of them's got a copy of Photoshop. And I think I personally am keeping a dope their, their stock values. So uh, <laughs> I don't want their editing software on every one of my computers because I don't want all of my staff learning how to do that. I think that editing is one of those things that we're going to have to know enough about as photographers so that we can optimize the image as we shoot it. But, you know, eventually we're going to have an electronic template that's going to be uploaded into our cameras mm-hmm. and shoot your Christmas card, for instance, you're going to, your, your camera is going to say, here's the five pieces you need to shoot to have a successful Christmas card that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four, and then here's the video five. And then it's going to encourage you. It's going to show you, here's what you need to shoot. And once you get those pieces, you're going to say on the back of your camera, yep, I finally have them. It'll up. We've got Wi-Fi on the cameras now. Yeah, Yeah. That data directly to whatever port that you want to go to, and it will make your Christmas card for you right there while you're doing your shopping. That, that's what we need to embrace, not run away from. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think time is advancing here. So um, we have about three or four questions left. Let's see if we can go through them quickly, uh, even though they're very important and profound questions in some ways. So the first one is about, you know, copyright and whether it promotes and impedes progress on the one hand and on the other hand whether it's bound to change in, in you know in a world of Instagram, Google Plus and especially Pinterest nowadays. Yeah that's a stupid question. Can we move on to the next one? Just just <laughs> well right as it's written in the United States is fairly well defined and basically if I, as a professional photographer, am in an environment in which I'm supposed to be with a camera, a public spot, or I'm in a private spot, and you have consented in some way that I, you recognize that I am a photographer and I am taking a picture. The moment that that image is created, I own that copyright. Now, that is just the intellectual, the intangible element of a photograph. It's got nothing to do with pixels. The actual file itself, I can, of course, sell without giving up that copyright. And this is one of the things that we struggled with 15 years ago or so with color copiers coming up because professional photographers would shoot a portrait and then folks would go to the grocery store and there'd be a color there and they would put the photo down and they'd make color copies of it. Well, you know, that hurts. That hurt a lot of businesses. And in fact, that's in fact, one of the areas where Sears and Walmart, which have now defunct their, their studios, that's where they benefited because they had photo studios inside and you didn't have to worry about using the color copier because they did it for you. Interesting, right? So copyright is, is a funny little thing because what happens when somebody is at a news event 
that airplane that went down in uh, East Harbor in uh, uh, the East River in New York. And what happens if you record that event and then you were to sell that to whoever, Fox News, whatever, whose property is that? And is it something that is copyrightable? And then if Fox News decides they use the guy right next to you instead of you, did he pinch your copyright? All those things have popped back up. And then, of course, you add in the layer of once you manipulate an image, does that mean you have to re-copyright it? Does you change it? If you you have this beautiful picture, and uh, what there was a, a Pulitzer photographer that had this gorgeous picture that you're not when you submit your images for the prize, you're not supposed to have anything but just you know minor touch-ups, nothing changed. I think he edited out his backpack or something, didn't he? Trash bag. I think it was a trash bag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, the you know where do you draw the line? So. It was his copyright in the beginning, of course, and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with copyright. It's his copyright after he finished that whole thing there. But at what point can I take your image and change it, and therefore it gives me a new copyright? Just like the uh, the Obama poster, right? The guy that did the Hope Obama poster? Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't take that photo. But that photo doesn't look anything like the art piece it does. Well, that's a huge copyright problem. So I, I'm not sure. I, I wish somebody would help us define what the rules are for copyright. And I know everybody wants to, they, they think they take the perfect picture and they want to profit a gazillion dollars off of it too. But as soon as you share it, you're going to lose the ability to, to challenge a copyright. Right? If, if I put a picture on my Facebook page and you take it and you use it, I don't know that you violated my copyright. So maybe it's my fault for putting it up on Facebook. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all very interesting and, and profound issues. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to, to go in, in much depth in, of those right now. But um, let me move on to the last two traditional questions that I always ask of my sh- uh, guests on my show. And the first one is, well, where can people find more about you and your work? Prison. Say that again. <laughs> Like to learn more about <laughs> hybrid photography, our website called discovermirrorless.com is got a lot to do with mirrorless cameras, but it's more to do with hybrid photography and how the pro and emerging pro can move into shooting photos and video and audio and put them all together into something that makes sense and hopefully makes a profit there too. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, and then the last question is, we've been talking with you for about an hour now, so... What do you think is the most important message that you want people to take away with this from this interview with you today? Yeah, yeah. If you're a professional photographer, I just just hope that you're open-minded and would would just have a hunger, a passion for learning how technology is going to move us forward. Instead of seeing what you can't do with your camera, I want what you can do your camera. So many people get stuck with obstacles. They have an idea to create a shot or a hybrid e-product and they go to shoot it and their camera gets in the way because it's too hard and it's too confusing or they don't understand how to make a correct exposure with video. I I want them to turn that around as a positive. So that whole taking lemons and making lemonade is real. And I, I want my professional photographers to think what people want and let's go give it to them, not what we can do and let's go try to sell it to them. Mm hmm. Well, I think that's an excellent point to call it a day. So, Will Crockett, thank you so much for being with us today. So welcome. This is so fun. My goodness gracious. Of course, let me know how I can do the camera, too. I'm glad you, you made the right choice. Thank you. I definitely will.